Gather round and listen to tales of great adventure and brave heroes. Tales of daring individuals fighting monsters and claiming treasure. Tales of bards trying to get into the pants of savage beasts to avoid losing a fight. Tales of people drinking beer, eating pizza, and rolling dice. Tales of people losing their minds over the things that happen to people who only exist in their mind. This is Roland Bones, and I am Ryan Howard. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your source for the best in RPG interviews. I am your dungeon master, Ryan Howard, and today we are talking to three of the members of Wizards of the Couch. It was a great conversation. Didn't get to many questions, just because that's what happens when you interview three people at once and they all like to talk. There's not a lot of questions that are asked. We mostly just go through the introductory questions, but the stories that everyone tells are are entertaining and fun, and it was a great conversation. Uh, one thing I will say about it, though, before we kind of jump into the uh, before we jump into today's episode, uh, if I sound a little bit tired in that uh interview it's because i am very tired in in that interview i'd spent the uh, the weekend moving with my wife to a new apartment and um yeah by the time that episode came around uh we were exhausted a lot of stuff kind of went wrong with the move so yeah i i was kind of not feeling it but uh the guys definitely carried that episode and i do feel like it's a very entertaining episode so if i don't sound my usual self in that episode that's why just letting you know i still think it's a great episode you know like i said they they did a great job on on that episode you know they they very much carried it before we get into a little bit of a little bit of a rant today on uh, RPG character names and how it's very important to to name your character. Uh, just a quick reminder that you can find everything related to this podcast on RolandBonesPodcast.com. Uh, I do updates every time an episode comes up. There's a contact page where you can get in touch with me if you want to ask a question on the show. Uh, also, you can email RolandBonesWithRyan at gmail.com if you want to ask a question. I'm trying to do like a Q&A thing on on the show to to kind of begin things uh just strike up conversation and talk about what you guys want to talk about and then you can also join the conversation on uh twitter and instagram where i am at howard underscore ryan greg uh instagram is where i post pictures of my miniature painting you know what what talked about with uh with courtney from figuratively speaking so a lot of my work goes there hopefully i'm improving but i will uh, let you guys be the judge of that uh so yeah with that out of the way, let's uh, talk a little bit about naming characters in RPGs, because naming characters is something that's actually very important, uh, especially at my table. And it's important at my table because when I play, and I, I don't know if other dungeon masters do this, I assume that they do because every dungeon master that I've played with has done this, but when I'm talking to my players in the session, I will use their character names, not their actual names. So, like in my Saturday game, it's it's Sariel and Horgrim and Jingfei. That's that's what I say. And you know, when when I was playing with uh, with Muhammad and and that group, you know, every people called me Cromwell. In fact, they called me Cromwell 
longer than they called me Ryan. They would call me Cromwell out of game because it took a lot of them a while to remember my name. And uh, I, I find myself kind of alone in that I remember people's names pretty quickly. Usually it only takes one or two times to, to match a name with a face for me, whereas I feel like pretty much everyone else says, oh, I'm terrible with names, um, which I, that's something that I think is actually kind of silly to, to say to people. Oh, I'm terrible with names. Just it's OK if you don't remember my name. We've only spoken once. Just just say, sorry, you just didn't remember your name. You're not going to offend me. I <laughs> I know I'm not the most important thing in your life. If if you don't remember my name after having only like one or two conversations with me, it's okay. Don't don't feel the need to explain that away. It's one of the it's one of my least favorite cliches about just in-person conversations. People going, "Oh, I'm terrible with names." But that aside, RPG names, like I said, they're they're very important, and a lot of times they kind of sum up your character just in a name, you know, like that's one thing about Knights and Nerds. While I'm not typically someone who likes to give my uh, my characters goofy names, a lot of their characters are sun summed up in in their names. Uh, Vanna White Helsing is kind of the uh, the exception there uh, because she does not act like Vanna White or or really like Van Helsing. Although that character has been interpreted so many times, I there there's definitely a a kick-ass version of uh, Professor Van Helsing out there. I'm not counting the Hugh Jackman movie. No one counts the Hugh Jackman movie. Just forget it exists. But like Fiance, you know what you're getting there. You you definitely know what you're getting into there with, with the character named Fiance. Spruce Lee as well. Spruce Lee. You're like, oh, he's a martial artist and a wood elf. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, and and uh, Cromwell McGuinn is another one. You know, like I talk about this character all the time. You guys are probably sick of it. That's because I've only played like four characters. So I only have like four characters to draw from as far as uh, as far as character table stories and stuff like that and you know Cromwell's my forever NPC so he comes up a lot and Cromwell is actually a good example of names that get stuck in my head because that's something you know that part of you know remembering people's names and, and being generally good at remembering people's names is you know sometimes names with a particular sound to them get stuck in my head uh, Cromwell McGuinn is a good example of two of those. So Cromwell comes from Oliver Cromwell, who's a figure of British history who, as my wife is fond of saying, outlawed fun. He was the leader of the Roundheads, uh, who were, you know, Protestants in, in England, and when he took power, uh, he basically outlawed dancing and gambling and, you know, fun. And so his name, you know, he's not, he's not a fondly remembered figure of British history. In fact, a lot of people just don't remember him at all uh, because I live in America and not a lot of people care about European history here. Or American history, for that matter. But I digress. Anyway, that's, you know, heard about Oliver Cromwell in multiple different classes. I've taken multiple European history classes, and so that name's just kind of around in my head. Oliver Cromwell. It's got a ring to it, doesn't it? But then the McGuen part actually comes from two friends of mine in high school. Their mother's maiden name was McGuen, and both of their middle names were McGuen. And so I heard the name. It was, uh, I believe I first heard it when one of them said to the other one, Catherine McGuen, and I was just like, oh, what's that name? McGuen. McGuen. That's got a ring to it. And I just immediately said that. I was like, that's a cool name. And so it's just kind of stuck with me for a long time. At one point, I was trying to write a story, and I named the character Angus McGuen, just because, I don't know, it sounded cool. It's a nice, uh, nice Celtic name. Celtic names in particular kind of stick with me. 
Uh, one example of that is actually the name Ronin, because for the longest time, Ronin I just associated with uh, the samurai, and that's Ronin, R-O-N-I-N. But then I found out that apparently there's a Celtic named Ronin with an A, and then my wife and I just got a new cat. Uh, his name was Elsie. We didn't want to keep that, especially since we didn't know what Elsie actually stood for. We kept trying to guess, and uh, some of them kind of made sense. Maybe Little Cat, but he's giant, so that doesn't really fit. And so we were like, okay, what are we going to call him? And we were throwing names back and forth. She wanted to name him Alexander, because of course she did. And uh, I have a particularly... Uh, not great association with that name, and I don't want to name anything after Alexander Hamilton, so there's that. Uh, and so we were kind of throwing names back and forth. Oliver came up at one point because Oliver Queen, he's he's uh, he's blonde, so kind of fit with him, but then uh, Kathy didn't really like calling him Ollie, which again, yeah, it was one that we kind of talked ourselves out of. But one name that I came up with is Ronan. And Kathy initially didn't want to call him that because you know, samurai. And she's like, he's not a samurai without a master. And I said, you, who, who rules over Ronan? Who rules over Ronan? She's like, well, no one, but he's not a samurai without a master. I said, well, what about Ronan with an A? What about like the, the, the Irish name? So she was like, all right, if it's Ronan with an A, then fine. And But she still wasn't sold on it, so I just kept calling him Ronan over and over again until that's what he responded to because I'm terrible. And it kind of stuck. Her parents liked it. Her parent, We were over at her parents' house trying to figure out what do we call this new cat. And uh, you know, our old roommate was there as well, and we we're all kind of throwing names around. And Ronan just seemed to be the one that stuck with everyone. But again, massive digression just to say, names stick in my head. So I have a very easy time coming up with a name. I oftentimes come up with a name before I come up with a character and and try to, you know, make a character that kind of fits with that name. Or I can just, you know, create a character and name him immediately. That's what happened with uh, with Tewin Valorum. When we were kind of designing our characters for Ashley's game, you know, I was thinking about this character who was an elf, he was a blacksmith, um, you know, his family was this this huge forge that made the finest weapons in all the land. And the name Valorum comes from Star Wars. Chancellor Valorum, who was the Chancellor before Chancellor Palpatine, for those of you who don't know. And uh, just like, Valorum sounds royal, sounds fancy. I think it's actually a kind of fabric, I don't remember. And then, uh, you know, I was just thinking about other names, and the name that came to me was actually Tywin, like, as in Tywin Lannister. And I was like, well, if I name him Tywin, everyone's going to think about Tywin Lannister. And so I, you know, kind of changed it, you know, I put an umlaut over the E, and I was like, well, what if I called him Tywin? Tywin. Tywin Valorum. And it just kind of, it came to me, and I created that character in 15 minutes, because Ashley was like, hey, I need information on this character. And I was just like, oh, I'm going to come up with this now. I've got time. And so it just all kind of spewed out of me in 15 minutes. And I really actually like that character and would someday love to revisit him in a different game. But again, I digress. All of that to say, it's very easy for me to name characters. I recognize that a lot of people very much struggle with that aspect, though. And that was something that actually came up in the uh, the Star Trek game that I was playing. One of the players, who was generally being indecisive about everything, was also very indecisive about a name. And it came to me, you know, I was like, uh, again, my character's name came to me almost immediately, and I named him Bradford Terran. And came up with the idea that his friends call him Ford. Because, again, the name Taryn, Taryn Edgerton, that just kind of, you know, stuck with me. And you know, seems like a cool name. I used it as a last name. And uh, Bradford just seemed like a strong name. It, it kind of, you know, evoked 
kind of the like it kind of evoked something similar to what like William Riker evokes. It's just you know you hear that name and you're just like that is a dependable strong man who's a bit of a philanderer. But anyway, but yeah, it came to me immediately. But this this player was having a, a difficult time coming up with a name, which is actually kind of understandable in the Star Trek realm, because you're dealing with humans who have human names. And you know, the, the names of characters are very normal in in Star Trek. And so you it, it, it's hard to come up with a name that, you know, sounds like a normal, it could be a person you meet at work or down the street's name, but it's not so boring that everyone forgets it. Like, you could technically name a character John Smith, but that would be the name of a red shirt. But you've got names like Jean-Luc Picard and, uh, you know, Wesley Crusher, Beverly Crusher, Julian Bashir. you know, these these are great names that, you know, they, they sound good, they're memorable, but you could see someone being named that. Benjamin Sisko, that's, an, that's a fantastic name, actually. Benjamin Sisko was an inspired naming choice. It really just, again, it just kind of rolls off the tongue. And the image that it presents, and this might just be because of watching a lot of DS9 recently, but, it, you know, it conjures up kind of what Commander Captain Sisko is. That being a strong, uh, you know, authority figure, a father figure, someone that you can rely upon, someone who's got your back. It's, you know, it's a great name. But it's easier for me to come up with names than it is for other people, and I fully acknowledge this, even if sometimes I get irritated with people who can't decide on a name. That's just something that I have to deal with. But I, I do want to remind everyone that in most RPGs, there are resources for naming your characters. There are tables that come in pretty much every book uh, that outline, you know, that these are names that you can give your characters. And a lot of them are broken up by, like, real-world language groups. Uh, that's one thing that's in Xanathar's Guide to Everything. There's a list of, here are Celtic names, here are African names, here are, uh, you know, Latin kind of uh, Spanish names, here are German names. And then there's also names like this would be a name for a dwarf or an elf or, you know, a tiefling or dragonborn. And so a lot of times what you can do with those is just kind of go through and say, okay, that sounds good. Now what sounds good with that for a last name and, you know, come up with a, a good name combination. Now, this might lead to just staring blankly at a book going, I don't know. I don't know what to name that. Because, you know, some people just don't, some people just can't make that decision. It's a lot of analysis paralysis, especially when you have a huge amount of names there. But it really is important to have a good name for your character because it really cuts down on the problem at the table of referring to people by their classes, which is not something that happens a lot anymore. Uh, that's something that I think was a product of the uh, the dungeon crawl days. And I bring that up because I remember watching a, uh, a counter monkey video where, uh, where the Spoonie one was talking about that and saying how people at the table would just refer to each other by their classes or worse, their races. And I've never, I've never seen that at my table or at any table that I've played at, but I feel like that that was a product of of the the dungeon crawl days where everyone kind of had a utility, and so you'd be like, all right, wizard, this is your thing, ranger, come over here and track, you know that that sort of stuff. Whereas these days, a lot of games are very much story driven. I I have not played in a single dungeon crawl game ever. All the games I've played have been kind of based around story, so it's it's easier for people not to fall into the trap of referring to each other by their class or race at that point, unless. 
you know that's like a part of your character is you know you, the 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 classic dwarf elf rivalry where they just refer to each other as dwarf and elf which that can also get played out too but again digression but you know the a name is something that's that's going to be used a lot it's going to be used by your dungeon master if your dungeon master is like me and wants to you know preserve immersion or, you know, it's going to be used by players at the table. It's going to be used by NPCs in-game. And it's something that you should not gloss over. It's something that you should give some thought to. And if it's a difficult decision for you, again, just, just kind of dig into different resources, both within the books and outside of the books. You can find, you know, popular baby names, uh, you know, popular Celtic names, popular German names, all, all that stuff. You can There's tons of resources out there to help you find a name. And sometimes it may take a little bit longer than you or definitely I would like, but it's a very important thing. It's not something to be glossed over. And it should fit with the world that you're playing in. You know, if you show up at a Dungeons and Dragons game with a character named, uh, I don't know, Jackson Mahoney, I'm going to be very upset with you because that's silly. I might say, okay, if you want to do that, that's fine. But if you show up to a Star Trek game with Jackson Mahoney, Lieutenant Mahoney, Commander Mahoney, you know, that that scans. Sure, go for it. And if you show up to, like, a serious game with uh, someone named, uh, like, I don't know, Bubbles McSqueak or something like that, that's also going to be a little bit of a tough pill to swallow for everyone at the table because it's like, oh, we're in the midst of a war. What do you say about this important life or death decision, Bubbles McSqueak? But again, sometimes people make it work. Knights and Nerds is a, another good example of this. You know, everyone's name is a pun. But I'm still able to take the character seriously because of the way that it's played. So maybe I'm focusing a little bit too much on making making the name fit with the setting. But still, if you're ever at a table with me and you come at me with a ridiculous name and it's a more serious, more focused campaign, and I can tell that you just threw it together last minute, it doesn't have any significance, anything to do with the the character that you're playing, I am going to, uh, I'm going to call you out on it. I'm going to roll my eyes at you at the very least. And, uh, yeah, just, just keep in mind that names are more important than people give them credit for, and there are resources to help you name your character. If you hear any loud purring, that is the sound of Ronan, the big fluffy dictator who is, uh, now ruling over our new apartment. Ronan, do you have anything to say to the people? Thank you, Ronan. That was very valuable input. All right, guys. So without further ado, uh, that's going to end my little rant on naming your characters here for the day. Let's dig into it. We're going to talk to the members of uh, Wizards of the Couch minus one. I hope you guys enjoy it and I'll see you on the other side. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm rolling bones welcome to three of the members of the Wizards of the Couch. Uh, we have the owner of uh, the Cobalt Con, uh, Matt Everhart, a.k.a. Casey Rifts. Howdy. We are also joined by uh, Jimmy Duffy, who is also uh, the proprietor of the uh, Praetor's Rejects Twitch channel. Head reject here, sir. Absolutely. <laughs> and we have cartographer and terrain designer Danny Grimes on as well. Danny, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having us on. Absolutely. So just a, just a quick backstory on how uh, I, I got connected with you guys. You had on your show not too terribly long ago a uh, former guest of mine, uh, that being the, the legendary Skeeter Green. 
We still have deep regrets. We still have deep regrets. (laughs) Yeah. As does everyone who talks to Skeeter. (laughs) (laughs) Or worse yet, is between him and the emergency exit on a plane. (laughs) (laughs) He did have a rough trip home from uh, TotalCon this last week, or I guess Sunday into Monday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was following the uh, the chronicles of his journey from uh, from TotalCon. It's it's hard to feel bad for him though because I was moving this weekend, so I was like, yeah, well, I'm carrying heavy shit, Skeeter. Mm. <laughs> and then there was that whole thing with Skeeter punching the back of that woman's chair. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For those of you who didn't know uh, who that was, <laughs> the inimitable Skeeter Green. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Poor, poor Skeeter. So, guys, we are going to start this episode the same way we start every episode. I'm going to ask you these questions just so everyone can kind of get a background on who you guys are and, and how you feel about this uh, this great hobby of ours. So we'll start off deceptively simple. How did each of you get into RPGs? Oh, gosh. The age-old question. Uh, I think... At least Danny and I are lifelong uh, lifelong gamers. We I started back in the late '80s or mid '80s, I guess, with the Red Box D and D, and uh, kind of grew from there. Expanded into Shadowrun. I think was my first non fantasy RPG in the '90s and the uh, the early '90s, rather, with first edition, even which was terrible. They've come a long way since then. Uh, but yeah, definitely. Uh, I think it wasn't Barnes and Noble. God, what was it? Walden Books back then. Saw the red mm-hmm. box in the store and and uh, ended up getting it for my birthday, and that was it. Walden Books and B Dalton. Mm-hmm. Ah, B Dalton. Yeah, and our mm-hmm. mall in Wichita uh, back home. They they were it was a double decker mall. It was one on top of the other. But B Dalton was on the top deck, and Walden Books was underneath them. Because fucking turf wars would break out otherwise. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think I echo. Uh, I echo Matt. Uh, I'm from that same era. Um, I probably started with the basic set, not the super crazy early one. I won't. I won't challenge the true grogs in the in the room. But uh, <laughs> I started with that, and um, and uh, I was. I, it was right after my folks got divorced, so uh, like I was looking for something to like immerse myself in. I, I was always an avid reader, but suddenly like I could make the stories and all that jazz, you know. So okay. that was a really fundamental thing, and I was glad he brought up uh, Shadowrun. My first game that was not D and D was a really obscure game called Jeroon. Oh wow! And uh, I just remember that the art was really great, and I think that's probably being a visual person, uh, visual artist, uh, that's probably always been the big draw for me. And the oddball. Me. (laughs) (laughs) The reject himself. The reject, yeah, I'm going to take that at bell curve age even farther back to 1980. So uh, that was my first exposure to it uh, in a high school gym in Midland, Texas, when I was still... Just starting off high school, uh, and uh, the guys, to, uh, we've talked about it before. I got introduced to uh, it was the back in the day when they were doing cons. Uh, they started doing one-on-one tournaments, uh, and this thing, uh, the tournament, uh, was brought to the uh, that game, the game center that was happening at the gym, was called Quest for the Fazzlewood, 
and I had no idea what I was doing. I was given a player sheet to look at for five minutes and had to memorize what was on it. And then I had to go survive what was happening in front of me. And so I think I lasted five, not even five minutes of the, you know, rolling. And, uh, um, so yeah, that was my quest and I was hooked, came back and told my, I remember telling my mom about it and she handed me a book called Quag Keep from Andre Norton, which was the first written, uh, fiction D&D. book based on D and D because she had just played with Gary Gykax and his home. And, uh, she went home and wrote a story about it. Yep. Wow. Talk about burying the lead. Yeah. <laughs> Bowie. Holy there shit. you go. It's like, <laughs> hey, it's but, like, yeah, I played the, in Texas and I died real quick. And yeah. Oh, by the way, my mom played with Gary Gygax and wrote a fucking book about it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So there you go. So, uh, no, and, not my mom. Andre Norton did who wrote. Oh, the Andre book. Norton. Yeah. Okay. Andre Norton wrote the book. Yeah. So that's awesome. But Hey, camera, when we had him on, he's going to actually bring that module to Gary con for me to look at. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking forward to it, seeing it. Look at from afar. He's not gonna let you touch it. All hail the camera and keeper uh, of all things. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so now, you do know, uh, Jimmy, that that's not how you're supposed to play. Just because you your first experience yeah. with D and D was dying in five minutes, you don't <laughs> have to take that out in your character for the next or in your players for the next forty years. I do. Yeah, well, you know, well, I didn't tell you all Saturday night, so you know, but I, I was going to try. So <laughs> that shit that happens when you're young, though, Matt, that sticks with you. That's true. It yeah, forever true. scarred me. Yep. <laughs> yep. Now, now, Jimmy, I do have to ask, uh, being being a Southerner myself, and you talking about kind of growing up in the in the South, did you experience any of the uh, the satanic panic kind of stuff going on when when people found out that you were into uh, into D and D? No, I, I, I'm trying to remember. So we had already we had left Bama. Uh, Late, it was after this. Yeah, my dad was in the space program there. He helped put up several satellites and stuff like that. And oh, nice. he, uh, when the uh, um, space industry started turning in the 70s and all that, he had had a petroleum engineering degree. So that's when it pre- that precipitated the move toward Texas and been here ever since. So, but I remember I'm near playing it at the school briefly in Midland, then we moved shortly after that back to Dallas Fort Worth. And I, you know, I remember seeing some of that, hearing some of that, but we didn't, I never got exposed to it. Yeah. So up here in the Midwest, uh, I was actually, uh, on a broadcast that Pat Robertson was on. I did not speak. I was just that little gallery of kids that they sit off to one side (laughs) to ask questions to. I was not asked any questions, but I remember uh, Jerry Taff and Kathy Michaelby, who were the two uh, local newscasters. If there ever been any better names for newscasters, Jerry Taff and Kathy Kathy Michaelby. Um, And they were asking him all about it, and he ran it down. He said, you know, it's evil, and it's getting in our kids' brains. It's just like that heavy metal music and Ozzy Osbourne biting uh, bats' heads off. It got all pulled together. So, But experiencing it, I never did. Nobody... You know, nobody in my life or at my school or anything ever thought twice about it. In in my experience, and I didn't start playing D&D until 2015, but the first time I even thought about D&D, I was in high school, and I think it was still 4th edition at the time, but I would routinely go to a comic shop just to, to, to buy comic books, and they had D&D stuff there, and so I 
told my parents, you know, I think I want to start trying to learn how to play D&D, and my mom immediately went, no, that's satanic, in in 2015. <laughs> and I was just like, what? how? Because I'd seen people playing it. I'm just like, they, they sit at a table with notepads and basically just do math the whole time. And I was like, I, I, don't, I don't want you messing with that. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Lots I of think, math, actually. I think back in the 80s, I think back in the eighties though, it was like, uh, you know, the, the idea that all these things were influencing kids now, I mean, you look around and there's extreme versions of everything back then it was a simpler time probably. And this stuff was shocking, but honestly, I think it's just, uh, a few isolated people started that thing and it grew some legs of its own, but it became weirdly famous like people way beyond gaming and way beyond all that stuff knew about the satanic panic. So probably your mom was like not so much directly influenced by it maybe, but just heard as an urban legend. Well, yeah. And like there was a whole Tom Hanks movie about it. So yeah, it's mazes and monsters, man. Yep. Mazes and monsters. That's right. Heck yeah. yeah, absolutely. Oscar. Watch that. And that only encouraged me. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, really? I might die in a steam tunnel? I'm down. I was actually pretty disgusted with my first group when we didn't go into the sewers and play our game. <laughs> That's what I thought all games were. like. I had bigger expectations than this. I had bigger expectations. <laughs> I don't know. But, uh, I remember, uh, so I was reading through uh, Of Dice and Men by David Ewalt, and he had a whole section in his book about how... Uh, the satanic panic happened and all the stuff that was written about it. And there was this one article where it's like at, at a certain level, you become the dungeon master. And at that point you have to have killed a certain number of people. And I'm having DM'd for multiple years at this point. I'm just like, I feel like I am seriously lacking in power as a dungeon master. <laughs> I haven't killed anyone. I'm supposed to wield power over life and death and hold people's souls in the palm of my hand, and I can't even get people to show up on time. I've killed enough. <laughs> I've killed enough horse rhyme, so you're good. Okay. So, you know. Touche, man. Yeah, that's exactly right. You're in the same boat as the rest of us. Yep. The clerical side of DMing is far more challenging than the rest. Yeah. <clears throat> So, uh, moving on to the next question, um, and this is a hard question for a lot of people. It's it's really not fair. I don't know why I keep asking it, but if you could pick from all the games you've played over the years, what, what would each of you say is your favorite? Legend of the Five Rings. Yeah, we've, we ask this question all the time on our show. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, mine's Earth Dawn. So. Gotcha. I do love Earth Dawn. I loved uh, FASA back in the day, just stringing together a fantasy uh, setting to a sci-fi or futuristic setting was was uh, freaking awesome for me. I, I'm, Shadowrun is my my favorite, but um, it's one of those uh, favorites that you think fondly about, but not necessarily when you're playing it because of all the crunch. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like, oh man, I really would like to play some Shadowrun, and then you play it and you're like, oh my god, where I didn't bring enough dice. Not, yeah, And I have a it's, huge uh, bag of dice, and it's still not enough. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> right. That's mm-hmm. my favorite, but um, I don't get to play. I haven't played it probably in three or four years. But mm-hmm. yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I don't think too. I mean, I think when you played long enough, and this is not a slam on people who've been playing not as long at all, but I think you can 
kind of pick out your favorites because I'm not really beholden to anyone, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I like things for different reasons. I like D&D because it's easy to get a group together. I like Numenera because uh, I really like the system. It's probably one of my favorite systems. Uh, I like I like Shadowrun because the world is freaking super compelling. But in the end, you know, it's like Elfi- Legend of the Five Rings has all those things in one. So that's why I love it. Yeah, I would agree with that. D and D is super easy. Like the the, yeah. the bar is really low to get people in and uh, playing. So that's I guess why I DM. Fav- yep, that's well, we all know that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I mean, from favorite, I guess can take on different meanings. Favorite, yeah. if I w- want to actually get a game going, would be D and D probably. Well, yeah, and one of the people who's been on the show before, Stu Horvath of uh, Vintage RPG, he, I think he said it best when he said that D&D is blue jeans. It's in everyone's wardrobe, and it's always in style. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Yeah, that's a very good analogy. That's an excellent analogy. So, thinking back to those first games that you guys played, um, and not counting the characters who died in five minutes, can you, can you remember who your first <laughs> characters were? Osborne mm. the Elf. <laughs> Osborne the elf. It was red box. You could just be an elf. Yep. You were just an elf. Wow. So, which I guess was like a fighter magic user, right? Really? Yeah. Right. It was. Yeah. I just played uh, first edition back uh, at the last North Texas RPG con, and I hadn't played it in gosh, a couple decades. But I, I got to play an elf, and I was like, oh, I remember this. It's like I remember playing play. an elf. Yeah. Where's my magic missile? There it is. All right. <laughs> Um, gosh, I don't know what my first character was. I remember, I remember several characters that were I, that I'm fond of or were fond of, but uh, yeah, first one I don't think I remember. I, I, that's probably not true because I did play the Red Box and you do that solo adventure thing in there. I can't remember what that cat's name was, but that that fighter uh, that you play and then you uh, are with what Alana the elf or Alana the cleric? Is is it Alana? No, oh, man. Now you're making mm-hmm. me wonder. Mm-hmm. And she she gets she gets killed by the magic user with the magic missile. Oh, somebody's oh. looking it up. <laughs> I am I am I am looking it up. But uh, gosh, I don't even know. Oh, you first. know what? You're you're. This is the red box. I'm not talking about this red box. I'm talking about the other one. <laughs> uh okay okay. I don't think I ever played this red box. Yeah, it's got a solo adventure in it. You can learn to play with, and uh, you play a fighter. You team up with a cleric, a female cleric, and I thought it was like Alana or something. And then when you meet the bad guy, like in the first couple rooms, she gets schwacked with a magic missile. And then you fight a rust monster, and you learn to hate those guys forever. Yep. I've been doing a Dark Sun game for my players uh, on on Wednesday nights, and they just recently encountered rust monsters kind of within the world of (laughs) Athos. And basically what it was was they went into what used to be an iron mine, and the entirety of it was basically just eaten out, and they could see these, like, rotting, shriveled up, and even one or two still alive, but just barely rust monsters just throughout the entire mine. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Explains mm-hmm. what happened to Athos. Yep. They got overrun by rust monsters. I think my most memorable character, uh, too, probably was... Uh, I just read a series of books by Julian May, and one of the characters in the... It was a sci-fi fantasy kind of world, but one of their characters was named Drum, 
And the thing that I loved about him, aside from being a like kind of a he's a very uh, quip, heavily quip laden character, always had a smart thing to say. But his standard was a hand with the middle finger raised. And he referred to this as the digitus, the digitus impudicus. And for some reason, I thought, wow, the digitus impudicus, that sounds like a D&D character. <laughs> I love it. That's great. What about you, yeah. Jimmy? I've never heard about it in your earlier exploits. I never survived uh, long enough, it sounds I like. I never survived. My dice rolling started bad back then, and it never has changed, uh, you know, Um so that you know that first that first module and it played off on and off was a rogue, um, you know that I remember or back in the day a thief we should say, um, and you know that from the games that you moved on from there in high school or you'd be playing in the cafeteria, you know those first couple of years when I the first two years of high school, I remember it was mainly fighters I think I'm trying to go back and think about all that. And then, like I've said before, there was a good bit of a time span once I basketball came into play and and college. I was doing a lot more sports related stuff for a while, and so the gaming took a backseat. And when computers really hit, uh, and your gaming went that way, I was tr- considerably focused on that stuff, you know, and playing all the different TSR games and you know all that there were releases that came out over the years back in the day and so the tabletop for me in person definitely took a backseat for for many years so um but trying to remember some of those yeah i that's a great question that i have no answer to because i remember not making it very long a lot of those campaigns you know would fall apart when you're playing in high school or those times you know you wouldn't get very far and you'd start over again and do something else or lose interest so we lost a lot of players to girlfriends and cars (laughs) <laughs> yep. beer drinking fraternity basketball there's lots of stuff i lost it to and i started djing too and so it's just you know uh the gaming went to a backseat for a while yeah we had uh fortunately the gaming group that i still regularly game with um the, the same guys i was uh, that were my gaming group in high school so we we have kept it going for gosh 30 years now but um we had some pretty long campaigns. We would, if we ever started something over, uh, almost like um, what is it, West Marches, or you know mm-hmm. the, the the large sandbox style. If we ever started in at first level, it was somebody's henchman from one of the other players, that sort of thing. So we we kept our game going for a really long time, and I think um, I still have. Just uh, the other day, I found a whole bunch of the character sheets from way back when that were not necessarily mine. Like we had the collective box of all the books because we were poor high school kids, of course, and didn't have didn't have the money to buy them all our own. So we had I ended up with the box of a lot of those books. Found a whole bunch mm-hmm. of those characters, so it was pretty fun. One of my mo- one of my most memorable was um, you remember that uh, Dragon magazine back in the eighties that had the multi alignment paladins. Yes, the ill the ill rigger in there was a lawful evil paladin, and that was uh, I think one of my favorite ones to play. But it wasn't definitely was not my first, but it was probably one of my more more memorable ones. So, uh, for those of you who DM on a semi regular regular basis, are there any forever NPCs that inevitably find their way into every single one of your games or a majority of your games? I have a fairly sad story i guess on that but yes i have a i have a guy named uh gregan uh gregan lightfoot was his original name uh, and he was my 
a buddy of mine who ended up passing away. Uh, his his uh, his favorite character. So that NPC for me is has a way of making its way, finding his way back into games that I cool. make or run. That's cool. Yeah, Danny? I have uh, I have Captain Mabea. And uh, Captain Mabea is, he used to be played when I was a little less culturally sensitive uh, with a voice that would make like Jar Jar Binks cringe. Uh, <laughs> he was this Caribbean <laughs> character. He was always upbeat, but he was a, he was a killer. He was a stone killer. But mm-hmm. then I started playing him more like the captain from Indiana Jones, the mm-hmm. sec- the third film. Remember the captain of the boat who he, he jumps off and jumps on the German sub? Oh, yeah, the guy that from Raiders. Guy. Yeah. Yeah, the guy. Yeah, yeah. And he's got like, Katanga. you know, just the, the great coat and the great hat and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. Captain Mabea, because I have almost all of my games take place in a port. They start in a port. Hmm. Instead of a bar? Instead of a oh, bar, yeah. I was going to yeah, say. Yeah. Sometimes a bar in a port, sure. Oh, well, yeah, right. Yeah, okay. But I never, I tend not to have uh, inns that uh, look, that have like the Roaring Hearth and the Mysterious Stranger. Mine are all like dives that are just thrown together under a dock and they're serving as the front for some other less savory, uh, less savory enterprise. It's where he finds himself a lot in real life. Yeah. So. Yeah. I do spend a lot of time <laughs> under the pier. <laughs> Ryan's about to Usually find out how morning, much we rib each other through all, all the shows here. You know, we pretty much just you know start nailing each other here. You know, and saying mm-hmm. things. So he's making notes prepared. on the time code. He's like, okay, edit this yeah. part out. <laughs> edit that. Yeah, <laughs> that part out. Well, Usually it's like edited a Jimmy out of show. everything. So, yeah. <laughs> no, it's so the NPCs have been interesting. We were just chatting about it on the game I was running for the group uh, Saturday night. So the channel on Prater's side, I have recurring npcs that are created i've got three right now two, one's been done two are in the works by other players or those who've who've contributed to the channel to some degree and uh, they now created an npc and these these npcs will come in and out of the games not the players will not know when that's going to happen but these npcs will come on and they're voiced by the people who create them they come in and they create havoc for a while then they run off so yeah I think it's it's only natural when you've been running for a long time. You you figure out that characters really serve purposes. So when I mean they're fun to play, don't get me wrong, and that that's a big part of it too. But they serve a purpose. Captain Mabea serves the purpose of being available to strike a deal with him to get passage somewhere. So the things that always happen around him are he shows up just in the nick of time. He's willing to make a deal. And he's got a hot ship. So any any part of a game that needs that, Captain Mabea can show up for. I got another guy named uh, Black Draca, and he's a black uh, uh, draconian. He's black dragon draconian. Uh, he shows up a lot, and he has a wand that allows him to travel between the planes. Now, he shows up a lot less. Oh, that's pretty slick. But when he does show up, it's usually because the players need to go to the ethereal plane or the astral plane or something, and he can facilitate that again after a devil's bargain of some sort. So uh, for each of you, uh, just as, as we kind of you know, play this game and you know, get, get to know, you know what we like and dislike about the game, we all kind of develop our own styles, both as players and GMs. So how would you guys describe your play styles, both as, as players and as GMs? 
No, let Jimmy go first on that one instead of yep. painting. <laughs> yep. <laughs> on the play side, it's pathetic. Well, I can't, you know, it's, you know, um, nah, um, I don't get to play as much, you know, because of what I do on the channels, uh, um, we, it's DMing, you know, and running the uh, sessions for, you know, uh, groups. Now we're talking on our, on the wizard side here is that we're getting ready to start a persistent game. That's going to have us as the players, uh, and have GMs come on to run sessions for us. So, and, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to that on the DM side. Uh, yeah. So the channel, the, the premise of the Praetor's reject side is that Praetor who is the controlling figure is picks those who are rejects or those who are not the typical adventuring type, they make mistakes and all that. And so, uh, you know, I look for that in my gameplay and that's how Prater acts and does things because he's a bum. He can be a, a bumbling idiot sometimes and things that he chooses to do. But on the damn side, yeah, they'll tell you because I, te- I get teased a lot, but I like to kill my players apparently. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, and if you come watch the alien games that we've been running, that's without a doubt. You're killing players, uh, and it's right up your alley. DM. Yeah, I love I love doing it because it gives a little flex. You know, I get, get I get a release there. But for the for the regular games, it's very <laughs> rare that I really kill players. You know, because uh, you know uh, it doesn't go for good shows. You know, if you keep yeah. regenerating characters and people coming in and out. But I, you know, um, been a few times where I've had a, I I will have said I've had to kill a few. Uh, you know, because of something that was going on. So we won't go into details, but yeah, uh, I'm not scared of it. Gotcha. Um, I, uh, I tend to be a more of a, by the, by the book. And I don't necessarily mean by the rules, but definitely follow a script. I have a hard time. Um, a lot of times reacting to, uh, you know, off the wall, I hate to say I hate to use the term railroad, but I will. I often have a start and an end to the way that I want to play a specific game, and to the to the point where I will, if I'm doing a multi-evening or multi-session module, I'll I will set. Hey, I want to get to page ten, whatever it is uh, tonight. And that's that's going to be our four hours, and then I'll focus on that so I can get prepared. So I tend to be a lot less agile than i know danny's gonna uh gonna tell you about but um uh so that's that's normally what i do from a dm's standpoint i also tend to be a little less uh, forgiving i guess and I, I don't try and kill people either but um certainly i'm not out there to to hold hands either and i guess that may be a product of growing up in rpgs in the 80s versus starting in the 2000s but uh, mm-hmm. that was my dog falling down the stairs i don't know if you heard that um, <laughs> uh, uh, as far as a player goes, I, yeah, I, I try and come up with something different every time I play. I try and be as I, I get to play so little that uh, I try and be as diverse as I can whenever I'm going to run something or play something rather. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I for example, say, being a oh, being a thorn in the. I was just going to say I, I like being a thorn in the side on Saturday night in uh, Jimmy's game. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what do you mean? It looks like it's trapped. I should go touch it. Yeah, that's sort of yeah. Thing. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's really been made really apparent, and and by also Brian Berg, who couldn't be with us tonight, uh, he's getting prepped for a convention uh, that he's going to be attending, uh, is that we all are very different, and all these different ways of running and playing are all valid, which sounds, I guess, like politically correct, but I but it's true. It really, at its core, is true. If mm-hmm. if you're providing for your players as a GM an experience that they enjoy and that you enjoy. You're winning. 
if you are playing with a group that gels together, even if your characters are at odds and wanting to kill each other all the time, as long as the play itself is cohesive uh, and there's something going on, that's right. Everybody's winning. Uh, personally, uh, I know Matt and I talk a lot about this difference in our styles, but I'll tell you this, and he, he may not have heard me say this before. Um, I have become more diligent in the last year, year and a half, about prepping for my games, about writing things down. Uh, I do like a more freewheeling game, for sure, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a strong improv person, but I'm learning that by, by setting some limits on myself as a GM, maybe not a page number or page count, but like I would like these two encounters to happen, or whatever it might be, whatever metric it is, it frees me up to be more creative because I've got the stuff down cold. I'm not riffing or winging it. I, I'm actually paying closer attention. So I just want to thank Matt because uh, even though he doesn't know it, uh, our conversations and the ones with Dane too. Dane is very much a prep guy. Uh, between the two of you, it's made me a better GM because I've kind of taken a step back to the way I used to do it way back in the day, and it's given me more stuff to, to run with. Uh but I do like to freewheel. I do like to play it fast and loose. Most of my NPCs don't have names. They're just the tinker, the barman, the whore, the sea captain. And I just call them that in the game. If you want to know what their name is, you'll ask. But if it doesn't matter and you can embody it in that archetype, great. You, you, know, you know who I'm talking about when I say those words, you know? And then how we play it informs it even more. As a player... I really am a utility player. I will look at the group and try to figure out what maybe is missing. I like to choose last. I have no problem ever playing a pre-gen. Hand me a doctor. Okay, I'll play a doctor. No problem. And uh, I used to be really into creating my own character. Now I really don't care at all because I want to just be thrown something and have to roll with it. Well, thanks, Danny. I appreciate that. I will just add, just to pile on that uh, to that sentiment, I have changed the way I uh, run games in the last year or two as well, based on feedback that I've received on the way that I used to write stuff. Cause I, I, uh, I would write, we, uh, in addition to the show, Wizards of the Couch show, we also produce content uh, through our Wizco games, um, uh, Wizco games, LLC. But uh, when I first started writing stuff, I would produce a 60 page book because I would be infinitely detailed in everything that I wanted <laughs> to convey to convey to the person that was going to read the adventure. And, you know, I have learned that uh, not everybody plays that way. Not everybody wants or needs to know exactly what I'm thinking. If I can present them with an idea and a logical story, they can fill in the the fiddly bits. And uh, I don't need to put that all to paper. So seriously, we dropped like a 60 page book down to what, like a little over 24 pages, something like that. Just to cut out the, the crap. You give Matt an idea and say, we'll think about that a little bit. Now, by the end of the night, before you're done, Matt sent you a symposium of Sometimes everything. Sometimes before he, you're off the phone. Yeah, it's already done. He says, here's what I thought of. I said, what? I hadn't even spelled the word yet. And here you've got me the phone book already. The pauper yeah. keeps all of his meager coins under the rain barrel. Why, Matt? Is somebody going to steal the fucking pauper's money? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Always, it's so funny. Yeah. But you know, th- but see, that is very much the way. That is the way things, old school games, were written. They literally had the coinage that the farm, that the 
you know, pig farmer had, uh, mm-hmm. because that that's part of this tradition too. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it, and if it allows the GM to run a game that's entertaining, that's exactly what you should do. Exactly, but everybody doesn't have to do it; just the people who want to do it. So, uh, so over the years, you know, we those of us who who love this hobby kind of have a lot of fond memories associated with gaming. So, if each of you can pick a favorite RPG memory, what would that be? Oh wow, there are a lot. My my, can I take a least favorite? Uh, we will get to that in the next question. So so hold okay, on. Okay, remind that. me, <laughs> remind me about the ham sandwich. Then okay, <laughs> don't want to know already. Favorite? Sounds like you're gonna find out. <laughs> favorite moment from either side of the screen? Yeah, yeah, from either side. When I learned about the concept of in media race, uh, which for those who don't know means in the action, in the middle of the action, uh, I started a convention game with 45 players. We had three or four GMs. We had a le- evil, a good, and a neutral party. Uh, druids and such what in the neutral party, a bunch of warlords and, and warlocks in the evil party, and a bunch of paladins and priests in the good party. And we started this game by saying each of your tables at the convention, they were spread out on three tables, is atop a different mesa. And and each of these groups is being attacked by a different dragon. Go. And so each GM started running this huge dragon attack against gr- a group of players who couldn't really run away. They just had to stay there and fight because, you know, the mesa dropped off on all sides for hundreds of feet. And... Uh, the reaction that that got, like four hours in, we're still just going at it, hammer and tongs, trying to like kill each other off. Uh, that ranks right up there. It was the kind of game where you're standing on the table, uh, literally standing on the table and just pointing at people and say, "Roll, roll, roll!" You know how much damage you do. You know that kind of thing. It was it was really a, it was really a treat. I've got two uh, that come to mind. Uh, the first one being um, as a player back way back in my original gaming group, we had. Um, the Illrigger that I was talking about that I spoke so fondly of earlier, we were playing some adventure where um, it was the standard, like, royalties coming in looking for your help. The prince has been kidnapped, blah, 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 blah. Well, my Illrigger, and for those of you who aren't familiar, the Illrigger is a lawful evil paladin. Uh, so his first and foremost, his duty was to uh, was to um, solve, you know, he had a duty to solve the, uh, the problem and answer the, the call of the crown, but he was going to go about it how he wanted to go about it and maybe skirt the rules where needed but anyway he ended up uh, he ended up uh finding the prince and uh taking his place and uh permanently taking his place if you get what i mean uh disguising himself yep. and uh and uh in order to ferret out who was who was behind all this you know it's for the greater good so he uh ended up taking out the prince and taking his place and figuring out where that uh where that all went. My friends still talk about that to this day. Oh, what? You want to go disguise yourself, kill him and disguise yourself as him? Yeah. That's uh, 40, 35 years later, we're still talking about it. Or I guess 25 years later, we're still talking about it. Uh, but as a DM, my favorite experience was recent, just uh, like three Gary Cons to go, or three uh, Gary Cons or Game Hole? Three Gary, Game Hole Cons ago. So it have been like uh, 2017, something like that. Whole group gets up at the end of a session and said it was the best. Uh, best gaming experience they'd ever had, and that was that always kind of stuck with me. I'd never had that, never received that kind of compliment before, so that was really awesome. Yeah, that that's that's always the best, right? At the end, when you get heartfelt appreciation. 
Yeah, I had one of the one of the players gave me a dice just because I, it was such an awesome game for him. I'm like, oh wow, that's pretty neat. Yeah, that's cool. Very nice. Yeah, I say I still go back just how that influence of that very first game, the exposure I had in Midland, because I had just with where I was at, you know, generalities for you know coming out of junior high and all the awkwardness that you have. I feel you know trying to forget those days in your life, you know, and moving to high school. I just remember being exposed to that and coming back home, and you know, this was a totally unexpected you didn't you didn't know this stuff existed and so then my mom was giving me these books because she was very much an avid reader uh and made me an avid reader in the fantasy genre because from the andre norton book then i got the chronicles of narnia books and then here came the hobbits and the lord of the ring books you know and so you begin just to take in all that that reading and all that and so i just i, just, I still remember part of that game and i and i just you know uh, just the giddiness of it, the the innocence maybe too, a little bit that's there, you know, of playing that game uh, for the first time. Um, so yeah, I, I hark back to that because I playing I was always I always like the DM side. Maybe it's a control issue of mine. I don't know. Um, you know, um, but playing you know running the games uh, over these years, uh, especially I had when it. It got me. Uh, we were playing a, a game here at the house that I was running, and one of the guys had to start traveling. So that's what precipitated looking at something that was going to be able to allow him to play remotely, which led us led me to Fantasy Grounds. And then for some strange reason, I decided to post on Reddit about wanting to run a group of gamers and just how the floodgates just opened up inside that first week. I had three games going. So, you know, um, and I've kept – a lot of the same players in and out of the games. I've not had big issues. You know, we've had, you know, you still have an issue here and there. Um, but on and all, uh, you know, the channel and people seem to want to stick around, I guess, either to give me abuse or take some. So <laughs> probably give more, I think. So, <laughs> gotcha. So, well, now that we've talked about the, the, the highs, we need to unfortunately talk about the lows because we share the table with all kinds of different people. Um, some of them that we grow to love and some of them we just don't get along with. And the worst of these people commonly are referred to as that guy. So what is your best or worst that guy story? I had a guy we call uh, my group. So back before the internet, uh, of course, the only way to find other players if you started losing them was to go to your local game store and uh, put up on the bulletin board that you were searching for players. Mm-hmm. There wasn't, I mean, literally no other, no other, no other method. And uh, I worked at a game store in Wichita for several years. And so I put up the, you know, the, the sheet of paper with the phone number written across the bottom and the cuts in it, and so that you could, somebody could take, take one of the, uh, take one of the numbers home and call. And we got a couple of different calls, but I ended up getting this one guy, and I cannot for the life of me remember what his name was now, but uh, we called him Captain Sweatpants because uh, <laughs> every time. Every time he came over, he was in sweats. I mean, every single time we saw him, and it was the same sweat. It wasn't like sweatpants and a different T-shirt. It was same sweatpants, same hoodie every time we gamed. Uh, and uh, he played a God. This must have been must have been third edition. He played a he, he played a beguiler, 
goblin. That was his go-to character, but he called it a beguiler, and he would not consider <laughs> any other any other possible pronunciation of the word beguiler. Did he, did he make Malia attacks? <laughs> he probably that was, yeah. beguiler stood out so much. I probably didn't even notice the other words. <laughs> it's melee attacks. But anyway, uh, he the, the most frustrating thing about this guy was that, and and this is another thing that we talk about to this day, uh, is that he had a he would make a plan, like combat would start, and he would make a plan, and it was a, a routine, and he was not going to break from that routine after it was established, no matter what. Like, uh, let's just use a simple example: if I'm going to cast cure serious wounds. Well, at some point, the, the paladin ends up, whoever is wounded ends up getting healed earlier in the round. It didn't matter. He's still going to cast his Cure Serious Wounds on his later initiative. Or the bad guys, you know, the bad guy he was targeting is down, but he's still going to use Melf or uh, Melf Sassadero or Fireball, whatever he was going to do. He was not about to change at all. And he would set that for the entire combat. So anyway, uh, worst that guy experience was probably that Captain Sweatpants. And uh, yeah, we ended up severing ties with him after only about uh, four or five sessions i think yeah i had uh I, I had two and i'll tell them both really quick one uh at a convention uh we we would frequently walk around with a sandwich board on saying anybody who wants to play show up with your character and it had some rules on it you know and uh it was usually just a big piece of paper we wore and we would get like lots of people would show up for our games we had five or six tables all pushed together in a public gaming area at a convention at gen con as a matter of fact and so you'd get all kinds, and almost everybody was super cool and understood that it was a collaborative thing. We were all trying to have fun. And this one uh, year, this woman came up, and she had a wagon full of comic books, number one. So right off the bat, alarm bell should have gone off. Uh, she had a little red wagon full of comics, and when she sat down, she had one of those characters that no matter what you said to her, she had things on her character sheet to thwart oh, you. Gosh, yeah. And then everything on her sheet was written in pencil. And we, I mean, I visually caught her several times erasing stuff and putting different stuff on, right? <clears throat> well, this is the one that is very short and swift because the players at her table got really sick of her dominating the entire game all the time. And they, and she apparently she had, she had a whip in one hand that was vampiric. And the whip was cursed to never be able to leave her hand. And she must have said this 10 or 12 times as she was using it on fellow players to like sap mm. hit points from them to keep herself alive in this combat. <laughs> and awesome. so, and so the guy next to her, I can see him writing it on his sheet. Now I'm admitting something about GMing that happens all the time that no one talks about. It's where you let players do terrible things to other players because the first players are really irritating you. And, uh, he wrote, he goes, he goes, I attack you and I cut off your arm. And she goes, uh, how are you going to cut off my arm? And he holds up his sheet like defiantly, like he's, it's crumpled in his hand <laughs> as he waves it around. He goes, I have a vorpal sword and I just rolled a 20. So he cuts, <laughs> he cuts the arm off. He cuts the arm off with the whip still in the hand. And then he proceeds to grab the arm and repeatedly use it on her mm -hmm. to take all her <laughs> So, so that was that was that guy getting what that guy probably deserved. The other one was yep. played in a campaign forever. Had a twelfth level wizard. His name was Drake Tazelsham, 
and he hung out with a pretty rough crowd. And one of the players was a, a demonically possessed. He's basically a demon. He still looked like a person, but he's basically a demon. And while we were in our secret lair, the GM said, what are you doing? And I say, well, I go down to the kitchen. He goes, what do you do in the kitchen? I said, I make myself a ham sandwich. And while I'm making a ham sandwich, <laughs> this demonic guy comes walking in the kitchen and with zero warning kills me. He has, he has some sort of stinger for a tail, like a demonic scorpion. He just repeatedly stings me to death. <laughs> and I die with a half-eaten ham sandwich in my hand. <laughs> Worst ham sandwich ever. <laughs> <laughs> he was that guy, for sure. What about you, Jimmy? Uh, well, I'm trying to think. I won't go into. I think I'll keep the online game those comments off. Um, you know, I'm not sure if I want to reveal those because it might. Don't know if you I don't know. know. There was one fairly what two years ago now that that was pretty, pretty fun for you. <sighs> Which one? I've had two. Um, Where there was the online fight, like they started fighting on. Well, okay, so with that, yeah, but we it's the resolve. So I had for about a year and a half, I was running uh, a all female player game, uh, and that is an experience. I thoroughly enjoyed it, but because the female definitely, the female group definitely played as scenarios very much differently than guys do. Um, but we were brand; it was still fairly new for me DMing online uh, and with a group like that, and. Um, they, um, didn't like, um, the R RP wasn't coming out real well. Uh, who knows? I very much well in a foul mood, but also probably. And I was saying, you know, they kept asking, could they do this? Could they do this? And I was going, no, cause this is what's going on. And so one of the, she just got upset and said, I'm just going to sit in this room. I'm not doing anything. And I'm like, what? She goes, I'm just not doing anything because I, I don't get to do what I want to do. And I said, no, yeah. So I, it, we got in a little bit of a shouting match and a few F bombs dropped out and, you know, across wow. the board and it was pretty, pretty hot and intense online. You know, this was live. This was what's going on. And, um, it, we cut, I said, we're cut, we'll cut here for the night and let it go. Uh, and we sat, I think, you know, after I cut the stream, the, gr the girls and I, we sat online in the Discord server for about another hour and a half, hammered it all out. I mean, we put everything to bed. It was, you know, oh, so sorry. We apologize. I, I put out a public apology to everybody because of what happened, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, to cross that line. And, the and you know, um, you know the girls were were apologetic about it and apologized for being upset, they, you know, and it made the game, I mean, I mean, immediately we played for another year together as a group uh and the girls the rp changed the and, and the game itself took that turn for the better the problem was is that the you know people that watched it and it got made the rounds it became an issue and got flamed out you know i was just getting all this hate mail and and comments and all that about this house you know your channel just needs to die you're just you know all the girls they should find something better I'm like going, did anybody ask them? Did you even reach out to them to find out what was going on? Because, well, we're still streaming. We're still a group, you know. Uh, and so, you know, it was, it was a bad experience all around as far as from the viewpoint, but it precipitated better gameplay on both sides, you know. Yeah, that's awesome, uh, actually. I mean, it's too bad yeah. 
it turned out that way, but uh, at least you got to keep playing with people you liked. I hey, it was another year of having these ladies, and they and then it, but if and if and falling apart just for scheduling and timing and all that. Finally, you know, as most D and D groups tend to do. Um, but I thoroughly enjoyed them, and I still two or three of them are still involved with the channel. They still come in and out, and they run stuff, and they're participating in games. So, yeah. Um, but it was you know not a fun experience. There's no doubt about that. Yep. Yeah, especially for back. all of that. To... Oh, what was that? Was that Matt? <laughs> I said I got killed by a carrot once. That was a little bit funny. <laughs> no, you got to explain that. Oh my god! Uh, killed yeah. by a carrot. Killed by a carrot. That's a new. Yeah, one. my high school years. My high school years. My first convention, and I went to it several years in a row. But uh, it was Abbeython in in Kansas, in Abbeville, Kansas, and uh, it was a twenty four hour, twenty four hour, um, like almost competition. There were first through like 10th place at the end of the thing based on the based on the um rankings that you were given by your gms and every you stip or you switched tables every four hours and you dropped in where the previous group left off uh and then you kept going for it and that gm ran that game for 24 hours which was brutal but anyway mm. um yeah we got dropped in why we were being uh, attacked by what was the equivalent at the time of the Monty Python rabbit who was armed with a poisonous vorpal carrot, uh, sat down and, uh, we were already in combat and got decapitated and poisoned by a fricking carrot by a <laughs> tiny white rabbit. <laughs> it was, uh, that sat down and was in that game for less than, it was, it was like a Jimmy experience, less than five minutes. It was pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. So the the last of these introductory questions, this is uh, a question that uh, can be answered as philosophically or as sophomorically as you guys want to. Um, I know which way we're going. Yeah, I'm going to say don't leave it up to that. We know. <laughs> but if you could put anything on a T-shirt, what would it be? Oh, my God. We just did this. <laughs> just put merch out we did yes we did actually wow anything anything so that's a rough one i had think... some wild answers on the show before so yeah mine are not going to be wild i i uh, i think i would what i really love to see on t-shirts we had a band on our show right before christmas gygax i don't know if you know who gygax mm-hmm. is uh, if you don't, you definitely have to check out High Fantasy. Yeah, the band, is- the band, not the person. But yeah, it's awesome. We also had Luke. We also had Luke. Uh, but but they did a 3D dungeon T-shirt, and I just love seeing people do isometric drawings of stuff like that uh, with all sorts of creepy crawlies and stuff. So my answer, unfortunately, is boring. I like to see maps and things like that. Uh, I like our mimic shirts, Matt. Show them, you know. I think uh, the, some of the designs and the things that were coming out are killer, you know. And people are responding to it, at least from the postings that I put on social media, wanting to know when and available and picking it up. And so, yeah, I like I like the designs that we we're coming up with as a group. Yeah, we've got uh, Dav. Uh, Dav, I almost spoiled it. Spoiled the joke. Dave in port uh, is our is our couch mimic and. Uh, um, yeah, he's. We've got some really good designs coming from uh, from Phil, and um, yeah, he's doing an incredible job. But uh, mm-hmm. as far as anything, gosh, anything I'd want, 
God, now it's making play, me you know, think. Play, how play about, more D&D. How about... Play more D&D with a D20 on it. I don't know, something like that. Yeah. Or ask yeah. me... Uh, what, what's the uh, what's the um, ask me about how you know how Jesus saves or something like that the D and D equivalent of that ask me how my D twenty saves or something like that would be awesome. I, I think I think uh, a T shirt that says like this is gonna probably not make the cut. So I'm gonna write that uh, down. Uh, but it says, uh, please tell me all about your character. And then underneath, and then, and then, and then under that it says, and then call this number, and that number is the suicide prevention hotline number. Oh, no, oh, that's not where I thought you were going with that. I, well, I'll go there. Call Brian Berg, and we will put Brian's phone number. Yeah, okay? yeah. Uh, please tell me all about your character, and then Brian's personal phone number. Yeah. So to all your listeners, if you have a chance, if you're at a con and you see Brian Berg, total park, he wants to. He loves talking to you about your characters and their yeah. backstory. And, and, and let's stress: there's no yeah. if you will see Brian at a con. Yeah. You yeah. will see Brian yeah. at the con that when, you're attending. Yeah. When you go to a con yeah. and you see Brian Burr, yeah. Total Party <laughs> Kill Games uh, booth, go talk to him about your character. He loves that. Tell him that the wizard sent you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Trust. and make sure you remind him that the amount of time he has doesn't matter to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I heard Brian that you don't care how long this conversation goes on. He doesn't really. He may <laughs> he may put that, but he really doesn't care. He yeah. loves chatting. Yeah, he loves it when you come right into the booth, preferably, <laughs> preferably with all your friends behind the table. Yeah, come yeah. behind the table with all your friends. Oh boy, you mind if I sit down? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, if we're gonna you set yeah, your nachos. Th- you set your nachos right out of his books. <laughs> we had, uh, so the this story kind of comes from, I mean, it, it's always been a thing of his, but at uh, one convention in particular, we were at in Wichita. Again, I went there. Actually, I'm not, I don't even live in Wichita. This is like the third time I've talked about it. I'm, I'm originally from there, but I have a hometown convention that I go to on a fairly regular basis called Tsunami Con. And I cannot tell you why Tsunami Con in the middle of the United States. I don't know why it's called that, but, um, it's Irish. Uh, yeah, that's probably the best answer mm-hmm. anybody could give. So Brian attended this convention one year and, uh, I helped him run the booth. This guy comes up and starts telling him about his 18th level Druid, because he had some, you know, Brian had one of these books that had some good druid options or fey options or something like that. And starts telling about his 18th level druid. And I'm like, okay, I'm out. And so I leave to go get lunch. And I go grab lunch to go and come back, which is probably, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes, maybe maybe 30 at tops. And this dude is still there talking to Brian about his 18th level druid. And I sit back down and I'm like, I don't know. I look at him like, I don't know, man. I I got nothing. Yeah, hey, I was just you no, me. Not, that's not totally <laughs> fair to that guy either because I was just looking up uh, on Wikipedia and Brian actually does have a book called 18th Level Druid Options. <laughs> <laughs> it's 56 pages and it's only for elves. <laughs> gotcha. See if so- Brian if Brian were here tonight, he could defend himself. But he's yep. not. He's not. So, so yeah. this is what he gets. <laughs> yep. Exactly right. So, as we're uh, kind of winding down here, uh, turns out with three people, uh, the the introductory questions take a little bit longer. Uh, I I do kind of want to know how how did the wizards of the couch come together and and become a thing? 
In our defense, uh, we are very long-winded too. So I mean, there you, you yeah. know, there's uh, I wouldn't let this deter, uh, deter you. This line of questioning deter you in the future. We just like yeah, to talk. Yeah, Wizards of the Couch started out as a 15-minute show, and it's now at 90 minutes. <laughs> now at 90 minutes. <laughs> if that, God, we're lucky to be done in 90 minutes anymore. We got we had one at least one show that was two hours. Mm-hmm. For those people who don't know either how these shows get made, like behind the scenes, there's chat going back and forth, and uh, just because we produce ourselves, you know, we don't have like a huge production staff or anything like that. Although anybody who watches our show would certainly not be under that illusion. Uh, but <laughs> but, but, but it's just it's just four of us trying to get through ninety minutes. But we'll frequently say, "Wow, this conversation's going so good. We should just let it roll because yeah. we're you know it, this we're, we've like got this a guest." Yeah, we've got a guest who's interesting or whatever. Uh, yeah, how did – do you remember the exact origins, uh, Matt? I'm never good at yeah. these types of things. It's all Matt. <laughs> so the uh, the show itself was actually a Brian Berg idea as far as, uh, as, far as getting four – we'll call ourselves industry professionals um, together just to talk like you would after, after the game session. So get on, uh, you, you, you go and play your four hour session. And then after the dice stop rolling, what are the conversations that go on? And, and that's, that's the premise of the show. And it was, uh, like I say, it was originally a Brian Berg idea. Uh, we originally got together as a group, as a collective to write, as I mentioned earlier, write stuff under Wizco games. We were trying to do, uh, the original brain trust was, uh, was Jimmy and I trying to make a organized play system mm-hmm. for online, for online games. So, you know, you've got adventures league and pathfinder society and whatever else, but there's nothing for those third party publishers that allows them to get into this organized play, uh, shenanigans. And so that was the original, impetus and we got brian on board because he's uh 10 years in uh independent publishing and then danny's the uh the creative maestro behind the scenes uh making everything making us all uh, not really behind the scenes that's not really the not at all behind the scenes but (laughs) behind the scenes he is making the uh all the stuff look look great and fantastic and he has terrific ideas as well so we've all got our different strengths and weaknesses and uh, like i say brian's idea was hey what if we just get all these dudes on and and uh, see what deals. shakes out. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it and mm-hmm. so far it's been really good. I think the best part about it, if I can continue to rant for a second, the best please, part about please. it, is that, um, mm-hmm. uh, we are all, as you've probably seen in this conversation, all four of us are completely different in our ways we approach the game, and so it makes for some pretty sporty conversations, which therefore uh, end up making for pretty good TV or YouTube in this case. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, we're, I, we've got I, I, all these alpha what? dogs. We've got all these alpha. We call ourselves a personalities and we're gelling for however that's possible. Uh, you know, we have figured it out or at least it's working and that's that we respect each other's comments and thoughts and we, the disagreements have really just been discussions and we still are doing our thing and we still have our own, um, accomplishments that we want to put together with this and it all just kind of fits a nice little jigsaw puzzle. You know, that's how I view it. Yeah, I, I I would like to echo what what both of these guys just said. Uh, we we're we're first of all we we have a lot of jokes we make. Like we say nobody's famous in RPGs, not really. 
Mm-hmm. No, nobody, nobody is, nobody is even a Kirsten Dunst in uh, in RPGs, right? Everybody <laughs> knows who she is, but nobody knows who Luke Gygax is, and he's a pretty, you know, that's a pretty important name in this world, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. So we don't let any of this stuff go to our heads. We know we're just four nerds talking about nerd stuff. And some of the best times I have at conventions are when you're done with the game, running it or playing it, but mostly running it. You're wiped out. It's two in the morning. Uh, and now you're sitting around. A couple of people wander up from the dealer area who are like friends of somebody's. And everybody's just sitting around having a beer, talking about games, talking about this kind of stuff right here. And this is part of gaming. What we're doing right here is part of gaming. Talking about it is part of it. And uh, having these conversations and sharing nuggets, sharing ideas, creative concepts, that's really a big part of it. There's nothing that I do that I that I probably would say is original. It's all standing on other people's shoulders who've gone before me and showed me cool things to do. I might spin it a little certain way, but I'm not – you know, I'm not reinventing anything, and I don't think anybody else on our channel, for sure, especially amongst these four guys, feels like you know, wow, you know, I'm gonna change the world. the The idea is just to have a good time, and and uh, and run good games. Yeah, that changing the world mentality got beat out of me pretty early. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wizards of the Couch. You know, Wizards of the Couch is just a place where people can get together and talk about like what their fun experiences are whether it's playing or 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 running or writing or doing art or producing a twitch stream or whatever it might be these are all the things that we enjoy and it's just a place for us to discuss them well um real quick uh just just again as we kind of wrap things up uh i know each of you guys have have your own things going on as well as wizards of the couch things so i just want to give each of you a moment to kind of plug the things that you have going on or any any cool upcoming stuff that you want to talk about with <laughs> either wizards or with uh, the the stuff that you are are doing and matt i know your your convention's actually coming up in uh yeah just a little over a month so uh why don't we go ahead and start with with you so this is this is the second half of the show is that what is that where we're mm. talking about yep. the stuff that we're doing <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so i i uh run and organize cobalt con out in colorado springs and uh it is an annual convention annual tabletop gaming convention the largest one out in um it's the largest one in colorado springs and uh really there's only a handful of for whatever reason there's only a handful in colorado period uh, so we're really fortunate with the location and uh it goes uh, we're moving to great wolf lodge this year so really excited about that and this will be our first year in an actual hotel yeah so it's going to be a good time for both uh, the adults and the children uh, particularly those who are able to stay because they've got a full you know full up water park and all that but yeah fairly uh, fairly standard like uh, out east gaming convention, trying to bring that mentality back out here. You know, guests and uh, that people can interact with and game with. Uh, all of my guests that come out, uh, Wolfgang Bauer is going to be out this year. Rob Schwab, uh, Stephen Rand McFarlane, all those guys uh, game with the attendees. So it's not like there's there's uh, a lot of conventions that you you know you hear the guests are there, but they are sequestered. Or doing their other stuff, yeah, you never see them, and we try and avoid that as much as possible. Make sure that they get a chance to sit down with the people that are their fans. But yeah, that's coming up uh, April twenty fourth through the twenty sixth, uh, right around the corner. 
So, so Matt, I just have to ask you, with this being at the Great Wolf Lodge, will there be a table set up underneath the big bucket? <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. We actually had uh, we actually had a mermaid cosplay group ask if they could join the convention and uh, and perform in the pool, which Great Wolf Lodge unfortunately said no. But uh, we're not planning on any D and D tables under the bucket, but that would be pretty fun. <laughs> maybe maybe mm. get under there and roll like a big foam dice or something. Yep. Mm. That's where you send people for their fumbles. Yep. <laughs> That's critical. Yeah. You roll the one, you stay with the bucket. <laughs> exactly. What about you, Danny? Uh, well, aside from you know doing stuff with the channel, obviously, uh, I'm I'm about to be participating in a in a uh, twice a month game that we're going to start running with a GM friend of ours. Uh, we're going to play some Shadows of the Demon Lord, uh, which is fast becoming one of my new favorites for a D20. Uh, uh, game system. Uh, I am launching a terrain company called Delvingwood. Uh, we make a uh, product that is a uh, plywood etched, laser etched uh, game tile, and uh, we think it's got some pretty cool, uh, pretty cool uh, uh, look and feel to it. And it's pretty inexpensive, so people can like kind of stock up on it and really have that uh, tabletop uh, miniatures experience. And we're going to sell it both primed and unprimed. Uh, coming up here, probably after GaryCon at the end of uh, at the end of March, uh, we're going to get that going full steam. I'm looking to do a Kickstarter with it. So, uh, you know, that's the stuff I'm working on besides, you know, all this craziness. And a lot of con attendants will be going to Gen Con again this year, GaryCon, GameholeCon, uh, Midwest Gaming Classic, lots of convention appearances where I'll be either running something or uh, or just hanging out and uh, and talking with people. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I would say because it's we're before I met. Well, so I didn't say I'm not. I was not a con guy, so strictly local Dallas stuff here, and then the online things. And after meeting Matt and the discussions when he was originally looking for some DMs to put together some VTT games at a convention, which then morphed into the Black the Blackwood Society. Lots of cons that we and I think all of us are going to, or we all go some on our own. And so that's throughout the year. Like you're seeing, you know, we've got Gary Con coming up in this next month, and there's so much is involved with that. Uh, and then turning around, we'll go going up to Matt's convention at, at Cobalt Con, and then coming through the summer, I've got Fan Expo here in Dallas. Uh, it's going on and then Reaper con and then game hole con. And then I'm sure something else will come into play. Cause I'm going to, I'm not going to, I will not make Gen Con this year. Um, so, um, lots of cons, but then everything, the programming for me is really paramount across both channels. Uh, and Matt has come up with some, uh, a great idea that who's monsters in it. Is it anyway on the Thursday night deal? And so we're going to be bringing a couple more sessions, to both channels <clears throat> i focus both on the wizards channel and then with predators rejects i've got you know D shows we've got the alien rpg right now it's we're after speaking with shane hensley of savage worlds you know he's getting ready to uh release the kickstarter information or start the kickstarter for the new dead deadlands uh mm -hmm. rule set and all that's going on there so once that gets into play and we get released i'll run that on the channel uh and tr trying to across the channels Definitely provide, even though D&D is our bread and butter, providing these other rule sets and gameplay so people can see uh, the variety that's out there. And not just being pigeonholed and running our D&D, because we do like that. But there's so many other rule games out there that people should be able to enjoy, and we want to showcase them and run them. 
So, mm-hmm. yep, there you go. Yeah, and I got to believe just something with Jimmy was saying there. A lot of people play D and D because it's the game they've got. But if they knew more about what else was out there, they would. People would definitely play other stuff. It's just the challenge of this hobby has always been enough GMs and enough, you know, enough players for to get a game of something else going. So I'm kind of on a mission to get people to realize there's a lot of other stuff out there that they can get into. And in the age of PDFs, you can afford to own lots of games uh, if you're not buying every book. You know, you buy the book for the one that you're really playing. But grabbing PDFs for other stuff is a great idea. Humble Bundle, I just picked up a ton of great stuff from Bonnie Cook's oh. game. Ronnie Cook mm-hmm. games for Humble Bundle, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I grabbed all the Fellowship books that were out there for that, you know, that Humble Bundle. That was great. I want to be able to read through them. Right. Uh, we've got uh, uh, the Alien RPG. I think Matt was just telling me that there were signups for our one at GaryCon. You know, that game has become very popular after the Kickstarter. More and more people are wanting to get involved and run sessions of it because it's deadly and it's fun and it's intense. It's definitely not your typical standard fantasy RPG game. So you know you're going to die sooner sooner than later. Uh, and so, <laughs> might not so, be at the hands of the aliens either. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's somebody else. It's just that intense. People are gravitating to it. They keep going, that was so much fun. When is it happening again? Because mm-hmm. it's so different. Yeah. So, so what we're each doing, honestly... Uh, aside yeah. from all the business stuff, it was we're running different games and trying to get people mm-hmm. interested in them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Working Absolutely. and running. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I definitely need to uh, get in on that or get in on uh, the the alien RPG. I had Andrew Gaska on the show on Halloween. I I, uh, I saw that. Yep. And so I ever since then I've been super interested in that game. Uh, I just I, I need to pull the trigger and go ahead and get it. And then uh, again, I've had I've had Shane on the show as well, but I, I would love to bring him on again once that uh, that new Deadlands Kickstarter, uh, Kickstarter comes up because I just got the uh, the I think it's Adventures Edition for yeah, uh, yeah, the yeah I just got swayed yep. a few weeks ago. So yeah. I ran it on. I was. I had started a Deadlands campaign on the channel. We were about three weeks in when Swade finally was released after Kickstarter, and so we redid, revamped the characters and played for about another eight months, I think, through one of the major uh, modules. And I give me more. He and he said it's been lacking for a while, and he knows that it's been. You know, it was time to get new content, fresh content out there. And I think he's going to have a hit because I really, you know, I like the Weird West. Uh, you know, it's not that hard for me to pull the Texas stuff off. You know, uh, and uh, play that out. So I'm, I'm truly looking forward to that one. Gotcha. Yeah, well, and guys, well, you thank- know, oh, oh no, go sorry, ahead. Go sorry, go ahead. I was no, going to say it's funny it, too so, because. Uh... Mm. <laughs> Go ahead, Danny. Go ahead. Because I was just going to say it it. it. it worked out weird because uh, right after that Shane show, we had nothing planned for our Friday game night. A couple of the GMs had dropped out for a couple of weeks, and uh, the guy who stepped up ran a Deadlands campaign for us. Nice. Yeah. Yeehaw. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, thank you so much for uh, for joining me on uh, tonight's episode. Uh, this was a ton of fun, even if we didn't get to all the 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 questions that i thought we would but this was a a great conversation um and so next week uh now that i'm moved into my new place we'll be back on a regular schedule uh next week i am very excited to announce that we will be having kelly butler on the show or as some of you may know her from twitter the opera geek 
she streamed several <laughs> games, a few of them with Matt Mercer. Um, you might know her as uh, Triss Marigold from the uh, the Witcher oh, yeah. stream that she did with with Matt Mercer, and then the uh, the voice actor of Geralt. So we are uh, we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about how D and D has influenced her career choices, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm very excited for that conversation. So. Until then, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I'm very glad that you rolled bones tonight with me, Ryan Howard, and I'll see you next time.